Can you see what this is? Anyone know what this is? Front rowers? Anyone? I heard someone say it. Yeah, coral. It's, it's coral. Fossilized coral. Um, coral that at some point in its life was, uh, was, was fossilized, and, and it's just really amazing to look at. It's just, it's so perfect, it's so intricate, and it's crazy to think that in my hand I'm holding something that might be thousands of years old, hundreds of, I don't know how old, and, uh, and yet here I am holding it, and it's, and it's just, it's preserved in its perfect state of being. Um, as a kid, I loved looking at fossils. Anyone else? think fossils are pretty cool. Yeah, I, st- I still love looking at fossils. Um, but you know what else? As a kid, this is kind of how I saw the goal of the Christian life. I saw it being all about um, growing, maturing in faith, uh, maturing in trust, getting to some place of holiness and perfection. And, um, and you know, so you could finally declare yourself mature, discipled, grown, committed, faith-filled, that you'd grow until some magical point where suddenly the growth is over and then you would just lock it in. You'd freeze. And then you'd enjoy the rest of your life fully mature, fully grown, fully developed. And see, I have a hunch that a lot of us still think of our Christian lives in this way. If that's you, don't feel bad. It wasn't until my 30s probably that I started to see differently. See, see, I think that explains why so many of us, why we try to hide and pretend when things aren't going well for us, especially around church friends or at church. Or, because it, it seems that we should be this. We should, we should be there. We should be locked in, mature, faith-filled, ready. And, and so when we've had a year where it's been like one step forward in our faith and two steps back and we're filled with doubts or struggle, I think that's the reason we hide it because it doesn't jive with this image of the Christian life. Or I think that's why when we look inside of ourselves and we see that there's a lot of struggle still and, and there's temptation and there's, and there's sin in us and, and there are these wars of desire and... I think that's why we get so overwhelmed and we get so ashamed and we get so beat down. I think that's why when we look at ourselves and we see the gap between who we are today and the people that we would like to be someday or the people that God is calling us to be and we look at that gap, I think that's why it's so easy for us to become hopeless and afraid, like it's never going to happen and it's just not good enough and to become overwhelmed. I think it's even the reason that so many of us start to play an even more dangerous game. We start to either lower the bar on where God does call us to and the kind of people God does call us to be, or worse, uh, we start to go through and do some revision over all the things that Jesus taught in the Bible, and we start to pick and choose which ones we believe are the most important and set aside the others, and of course the ones that we choose that we believe are the most important tend to be the ones that we naturally do well on our own. Anyone know that game? I'm good at playing that game. I'm like, oh, that one's easy for me. That must be important. The rest of them, not so important. Do, do you see why we do that? Because we have, we have so many of us, and if this isn't you, good for you, but for so many of us, as someone who's basically raised within the church, this is the picture I came away with, that, that I would grow, I would mature, I'd deepen, and then I would become mature, I would become a disciple, I would become faith-filled, and then I would freeze, I would lock it in, I would become fossilized in holiness and perfection forevermore. But here's the thing about this, as intricate, as beautiful, as well-preserved as this is, here's the thing, this isn't alive. 
I know that's astounding for you, but I want you to sit with it for a minute. Because I think so many of us, this is the life that we dream of for ourselves. Whether we're talking about faith or just life, a life that is all put together, a life that is even, a life that is steady, a life that is consistent, a life that is well-preserved, a life without having to take crazy heroic risks, risking either spectacular failure or amazing victories. I, I think most of us hope for a life that is just, yeah, it's, it's, it's easygoing, it's, it is what it is, there are no big traumas, there are no big tragedies, no crazy circumstances where we're just, we're just kind of locked in. We got it now, we've hit our stride and we're good. I think a lot of us hope for churches like that too. Churches who've got it all figured out and they're going to stay this way until Jesus comes. But I've got to tell you, if, if that's the kind of life you're hoping for, if that's the kind of church you're hoping for, what you're actually asking for, understand what you're actually asking for. You're asking for something that is no longer alive. You're asking for something that once was alive, that has now been embalmed, that has now been fossilized, I don't know how you want to talk about it, but is no longer living. See, when I read the Bible now, and and I used to read the Bible differently, I I would see these great heroes of the Bible, and I would reread their life and their struggles as if they must be heroes, as if they were people who just, you know, marched forward, and they got to this place of maturity, and they, you know, they marched up the mountain, and they got up onto the mountaintop, and they retired there, and life was good for them, or even when circumstances were bad, they were good and they were always faith-filled and they were always obedient and they were, right? Now I read the Bible and I, I see the truth that, that no one looks like this. Not David, not Solomon, not Isaac, not Jacob, not even Moses. That getting to some place of frozen perfection or perfect faith or perfect obedience or perfect holiness, it's just not what the Bible teaches That's not what it is to be alive. Certainly not how my story has gone. And, and so that means that in those years that you have where, where you don't, you're not sure that you've moved in the right direction, or there doesn't have to be shame there. It's not necessarily that you're doing anything wrong. It's just part of how the story goes. I'll tell you what, it's, it's a part of Ben and Brittany's story. You saw the beginning of their story a, a few minutes ago where Brittany was baptized with her family and, or on her own and it was an amazing day and, and the weight came off and she heard this voice of God speaking over her, these promises of love and belonging and forgiveness and, and, and you think, man, all right, she's ready to go up and to the right. But then life happens. I want you to look at the rest of their story. We've always talked about three kids. We decided that, that now was, was a good time. Then in January of this year, we went in for her 20-week ultrasound. The text said we're having trouble seeing his arms, so we're going to have to get a, a second opinion. Brittany kind of immediately started worrying that something was wrong. I wasn't so convinced. We went in two days later. The tech at the very end said, you're going to need these, and she handed us... <laughs> A box of tissues and the doctor came in sorry <clears throat> the doctor came in and went over the results and they initially told us that he had bowing in both of his thigh bones that his feet were clubbed they couldn't really get a good idea of what was wrong with his arms they looked like they were short uh, they really couldn't see the right arm hardly at all 
And then we came to church on Sunday and Pastor Howard was preaching the Guaranteed series and it was... It's not all on you. Yeah, it's not all on you and it was a... Well, it was God telling us, hey, it's not all on you. We needed something to get us past that weekend and then also jumpstart us into the next week and prepare us for we weren't sure what. The further along we went, the better things got. They they said, well, I don't think he has Boeing in his legs. And then it was, well, he doesn't have club feet. They still couldn't see the arms. They still weren't sure about those. Seemingly every appointment we went to, something that was wrong was no longer wrong. And then the closer we got to, to him being born, the harder it got again. They still were to get a clear picture of his arms. I was convinced for, for a while that he was missing a hand. I wasn't sure how I was going to take it, but when he came out, it just—it was just him. He was perfect, beautiful. You know, I don't even think that we saw any abnormalities. We just saw his face, and it was just God's gift. It's what we had been waiting for, um, and it, it didn't matter what was wrong or what we were going to have to go to. He was our son, and he was gifted to us for a reason. You know, they had prepared us for any number of syndromes that he could possibly have, any number of issues that we might deal with in the future. And every time we would go to the doctor, we would just pray, pray, pray. And we would get a call that says we didn't find anything. Everything is negative. There's no other way to explain that than God. I've grown in my faith ever since we started coming here, especially on a consistent basis. And I, I knew that no matter what happened, I knew that he was there for us. And even if at times it doesn't seem like it's going to be okay, it, it, it will in the long run. And if I didn't have that, I don't know how I would have managed to get through uh, the pregnancy. Really before we found out we were pregnant with Elijah, we had done some big things in our life. We were tithing basically when we felt like we could tithe. It wasn't um, a priority in our life the way that it needed to be. So we committed to next. After that, we just had a string of great things happen for us. I joined MOPS, which was the best decision that I could have made for myself at that time. Being around those women who gave such encouragement and prayers, looking back, that was God. I needed Elijah as much as Elijah was gonna need me. He has brought me deeper into my relationship with God than I have ever been, um, honestly, than I ever really cared to go. When we found out about him, I cried a lot, and I just got to a point that I can I can live this pregnancy in fear. Um, I can basically just be miserable and terrified the whole time, or I can take everything I have and give it all to God. And that was really hard for me because I'm not, that type of person. It's hard for me to keep control up, but I know that God is here with us. I know that He is for us. I know that He loves us. We know that there's more coming because there's going to be surgeries in His future. Um, we know that there's there's definitely more coming, but we know that with everything that we've been through so far and with God behind us, there's nothing that we can't get through. Doesn't look like this. It's messy, isn't it? Uh, yesterday, I got news that some friends of, of mine, friends of a lot of ours, uh, Todd and Christine Moritz, 
Um, she, they were actually featured in our Inspired Service last year as live streamers from California, and Christine was in a battle for cancer, with cancer, and I just got some news this week that uh, now that battle with cancer is turning into um, a, a, a journey into dying in faith, and her end is coming soon, and just not neat and tidy, is it? And yet, if we can learn to surrender control, if we can learn to keep our eyes open for how God is working even in the middle of the chaos, if, if we can open up our eyes to the beauty around us, if, then not only can God make it beautiful, but then we will grow. See, the picture of our life, the picture of this journey isn't to get to, to this kind of place. Instead, it's to get here. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Now, this is not a grapevine, don't be confused. It's the viniest thing I could find in our building, though. Um, so uh, that's what we have. Um, Jesus said, my father is the gardener, and I am the true vine. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, when I first read that, that sounded scary, but, but I actually believe, and there's a whole book written about this, and smarter people than me have talked about this, um, that it doesn't actually mean he cuts off a branch that bears no fruit, but actually that word cuts off it also is translated he takes up. And maybe that's your story over the last year or longer. Life has just pummeled you, knocked you down. You've been trampled in the dirt. And there's no fruit in your life where you're having a hard time seeing it. And here's the promise for you through Jesus. that, That the father is a gardener who comes along and he sees those branches that are trampled in the dirt. And they're struggling, fighting for survival. And you know what he does? He picks them up and he cleans them off. And he puts them on a higher place so that they might have a chance to be fruitful. And then after they become fruitful, listen to what Jesus says. He says, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Maybe this is your story of the last year. You're in a pretty fruitful place and then then God's coming along and he's doing this to you. And you're like, what's going on, God? I'm being fruitful. Why, Why the pain? Why the trauma? What are you doing in my life? And Jesus tells you. That it's not about getting to some place of fossilized perfection. If you're fruitful, you know what you can count on. You can count on God coming along and beginning to prune you to make you even more fruitful. See, Jesus concludes this way. Uh, it says a lot more in John 15. Go home and study it. He says, you've already been pruned or you've already been made clean by the word that I've spoken to you. He talks about the power of his word to change us. And then he goes on and he says this. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. See, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. See what Jesus says? Jesus says that perfection is not the goal. Perfection is not the goal. The goal instead is fruitfulness. See, the picture, the goal is not perfection, it's fruitfulness. The goal is not perfection, it's fruitfulness. I gotta say it one more time. The goal is not perfection, it is fruitfulness. When we talk about life change, we're not talking about perfection. When you say, hey, I'm an unwritten story or my story's still being written or I'm not there yet, of course you're not there yet. If you're alive, you'll never be there. See, see, there is for this myth. There is no there. The goal isn't to get there. The goal is to be fruitful. 
And fruitfulness is, I know what your heart longs for. Perfection never made anyone happy. Fruitfulness does to be fruitful, to have something come out of your life that's good, that's a blessing to you and the people around you that makes a difference in the world. Fruitfulness is what we long for. Fruitfulness is what God promises. But please understand something. Fruitfulness is not your responsibility. I'll say that again. Fruitfulness is not your responsibility. It's not about perfection. It's about fruitfulness. But fruitfulness is not your responsibility because Jesus says that there is a gardener who is at work and it is his responsibility. Our Father in heaven, it is his responsibility to make us fruitful. And he knows exactly what to do in every circumstance and season. Whether we are that branch that's been trampled into the dirt and, and we're struggling to just even survive, let alone bear fruit, or whether we're that branch that's fruitful or whether we're anything in between, he knows exactly what to do to make us fruitful. It's not really even our concern. Our only concern, did you hear what Jesus said? Our only concern in this whole thing, did you hear what Jesus said it was? Our only concern is to remain in him. You can't make your life fruitful. That's the job of the gardener and he knows exactly what to do to make your life fruitful. You know what you can do? You can abide. You can remain in Jesus. And that means looking to him no matter what season you're in. If you're one of those people who right now, right now in this season, you're looking inside of yourself and you just see all that's wrong and you see struggle, and you see um, just struggles that you've had too long that won't go away, if, if that's you, you know what you need to do? Hold on to Jesus. Remain in Jesus. Let his grace be enough for you. Stop stressing out and just know that he is enough to cover over your sins and your failures. The only call on you is to remain, to cling to him. If you're in a situation in life, a circumstance in life, a season where outside circumstances are overwhelming you and, and there's all kinds of stuff going on and, you, and, and you're just overwhelmed by the, by, the, by the giants in your midst and you don't know how you're going to stand up or survive, you don't have to fight those giants. You don't have to figure it out. Your only call is to remain in Jesus. Call out to him. Invite him in. If you're someone who just feels lost in your journey and you're looking at your life and you don't see fruit and you don't know what to do, guess what? The only thing for you to do is to let go of trying to make yourself fruitful and to throw your life open to Jesus. Let go of control and let him love you. Let him work in your life. Let the Father do through Jesus exactly what he knows you need to make you fruitful. It's not about perfection. It's about fruitfulness. And you can't make yourself fruitful. The only thing you can do is to hold on to Jesus, to learn what it is to abide and commune with him and to experience a life-giving relationship with him. Because when you are a branch who is connected to that vine, here's the promise Jesus makes later in John 15. He says, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. I want to pray for fruitfulness right now. Father in heaven, thank you for knowing what we need in every season. Thank you right now that I don't need a strategy for my life for how to become more fruitful. You simply ask me to abide, to remain, to go deep into Jesus. 
and that you will take care of the rest. Father, I pray for those of us in the room who are still wondering about Jesus, who are still struggling to know whether he is who he says he is, wondering if we should surrender our lives to him. Father, right now, by your spirit's power, help us say yes to Jesus. Even if it's for the first time, especially if it's for the first time. Father, help us just surrender and say yes to Jesus, to let him connect himself to us and to begin to put his life through our veins so that we might know what it is to be truly alive and truly fruitful. Father, I pray for those of us who are weary in the journey, who are not in an easy chapter right now. I pray for those of us who are fruitful in the journey and and are thinking about retiring, think we've got it made. In every case, in every situation, show us what it means to remain, to abide in Jesus, to be brought deeper into a life-giving connection with him. And then, Father, our prayer, our deep prayer is that you would make us fruitful, fully alive and fruitful for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen.